Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day, and Lord, I just uh, want to ask that you would be with us the rest of this morning. Lord, as we look at your word, God, I ask that you would give me wisdom, give me understanding, give me guidance as I speak these words today. Lord, I pray that it would be your truth and not my own, and I just ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we've been away from Acts for a little bit, okay? We had a weird snow day. And then we had uh, Easter, so we were away from Acts for that. So we're getting back into it now. Uh, I think you remember we started off in the book of Acts. We were in Jerusalem. Uh, we talked about actually in Sunday school this morning, the reminder that the Spirit of God came uh, a couple weeks ago. Persecution on the church broke out into a heavier, uh, more significant way uh, through Saul, a man named Saul. And there was a guy who was killed, the first uh, person to die at, because he was, and as a Christian in the church, the first man to be uh, killed because of this was uh, stoned to death. Anybody remember his name? Stephen. That persecution broke out in big, big ways, and it drove people out of Jerusalem, not the apostles, but everybody else. And we hear about how these other people came to a place called Samaria. We studied then that as the gospel spread to Samaria, which we knew it was going to anyway, because Jesus, before he left, said, take the, this good news to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so God is working out his way of spreading the gospel and encouraging that in such a way. But uh, today, we're going to talk about right after this, this spreading of the gospel to Samaria, and there's a, a man named Philip, not one of the apostles, but another guy named Philip, he was actually one of the seven that was chosen to serve in the church, just your regular average Joe, or we could say your regular average Philip, okay? And he's, he's in Samaria, he's spreading the gospel, we hear about this, and uh, that's what we heard about last time. But now, in Samaria, we're going to get to listen to what I think is a fun and interesting story, okay? Now, this story is going to involve a guy, and I want to start with this particular guy. This guy is, a, we don't know his name, he's a... He's an Ethiopian eunuch, okay? Uh, Ethiopian eunuch. You guys don't want to be too crude in church, but you guys know what a eunuch is, okay? Some, quite possibly a, a guy who's been castrated. Um, now, the word eunuch doesn't have to mean that all the time in the Bible, but for the most part, as far as we know, that's usually what the case was. And a lot of times those male court officials, that's what they would do to them and I think partly to keep them away from the king's harem, right? Uh, is that too crude for church? Okay. This is this guy. This Ethiopian eunuch from Ethiopia. He's a court official. We're going to read about that. Court official. He's going to work for. He's working for a queen named Candace, queen of Ethiopia. And uh, he's up visiting Jerusalem. Now, if you know anything about geography, he's come up from Ethiopia. They did, he didn't take a plane. Right? This would have been a long journey. He's made this trek up to Jerusalem. And uh, I, I have a theory as to what he was doing up there. We're, we're going to read in the story that he's reading Isaiah. Now, you might go, well, how in the world did this guy get a copy of Isaiah? There's a lot of possibilities. It's interesting in the Old Testament, we, we hear about actually as the Queen of Sheba who came up from Africa up and visited Solomon. We know that the, the news of the one true God had spread in other places in the globe, and we know that there were people who would travel 
to see this temple, hear about this God. And somehow, some way or another, a copy of the, the writings of this prophet Isaiah had made it to Ethiopia, and this, this Ethiopian had made a pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. And I have a theory as to why. There's a particular passage in Isaiah that I think would have struck a chord for this, this guy, and I think it ought to strike a chord for us as well, and I'm going to get into that in just a minute. But I want to read this passage out of Isaiah. It's Isaiah chapter 56, and it starts off, it says this. So that, I, I, Remember, this is my theory as to why this guy may have found it important enough to make this pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. Notice Isaiah 56. The prophet is writing, and he says this. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, Jehovah, say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. Now, before I go on, can you imagine how being this guy, a lot of times it wasn't their choice to be a eunuch. Imagine how this might be important to him. The Lord will surely, don't say this, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. That's interesting. We, we learned a couple weeks ago in Sunday school that um, in the temple there was, there was limits to who could go in all the way into the temple. And we also know from the Old Testament law that someone who was a eunuch, who had been made a eunuch, um, wasn't allowed to go into the temple area all the way in. There were certain outer courts that they could go in. So this guy was in some ways separated from going all the way in. But Isaiah the prophet after the law says, hey, they can't go all the way into the temple. After this, Isaiah the prophet is speaking about something where he says, don't, don't let this person say, I, I'm, I, I'm separated from God's people. Think for a person who, whatever had brought him in his life to this point, where maybe, yeah, sure, he's a court official, but can you imagine thinking to yourself, it's all I got. And then reading these words and thinking, this God cares about me. He cares about me. I'm significant. Let me go a little bit further. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And I don't think it's meant to be silly, but I do think there's a bit of a play on words here. Once again, I hope I'm not being too uh, open for church. I think for a eunuch, saying, I will give you something better that won't ever be cut off, carried some measure of significance. Because anatomy aside, this guy had lost the ability to have offspring, descendants. And just like us, a name, right? I'm passing on the harmless name. I hope my harmless sons pass on the harmless name. There's something, that's not really that important, but there's still something to that. Have your descendants going on after you. And for this guy, he knew there was no hope of that. And God says, I want you to know there's something even better than that. I think that's super significant. And I think this would have been significant for him. There's better. There's something better than the stuff you could get, achieve, or accomplish here. There's things that are better than some of the best things that are here. 
this passage of Isaiah goes on. I'm going to read through the last few verses here. It says, And the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, Zion, Mount Zion, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Jesus quotes that. Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. I think for this, this guy, a sin, I mean, I can just imagine reading this and getting this sense. I mean, to be, he, he would have felt very much like on the fringes or the outskirts of, you know, acceptable, normal society. He's just this court official. His life has been taken away from him. It's all about just serving the queen and, and taking care of these court official type things. Can you imagine him reading this and going, God wants to include me in this. Have you ever read something in the Bible and it just seemed like it was for you? You read it and you're like, man, that's, that's for me. It's like God put that in there just for me. I think maybe this eunuch could have read this passage and thought, this is for me. Now, whatever it is that has brought him here, I think this is quite possibly what brought him here, these truths that are found in Isaiah. He's made a pilgrimage. He wanted to go to this house, to, to go to the mount, Mount Zion, where the temple is. Actually, see the temple. To worship God there, because he knows his, his burnt offerings won't be rejected by God. I think maybe when he got there, whether he knew it or not in advance, it would have felt... harsh, difficult to go in and and know that some of the Jews that were in there were saying, you can only go this far and no further. And maybe because he was an outsider, he may have been even treated by some of the Jews that were in the temple as rejected. Yet he's reading, you won't be, you'll be accepted. I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. So Isaiah speaks of a future where all are included. Foreigners, eunuchs, the outcasts, the fringes of society. This is truly good news. And the eunuch, this Ethiopian eunuch, he wants in on this. He's left Jerusalem. He's gotten these glimpses of the good news that we find in places like in Isaiah. Now, we have the full story, don't we? There's more than glimpses. We, we, there's the glimpses in Isaiah, but we've got the full story. Jesus came, took the penalty, the wrath of God for all of our sin upon himself. How is it possible that these things are worked out that are glimpsed at in Isaiah? It's through the person of Jesus, and we know this. That's The real good news. God sent His Son, Jesus. He's reconciled us. He's redeemed us. So before I get back to this Ethiopian eunuch, I have to ask you this question, because I think it's significant. How how do we spread the gospel? I mean, if this news is really as good as it sounds, how do we spread the gospel? the gospel? The word gospel means good news. Everybody knows that? How do we spread this good news? A lot of times when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he describes it like a feast. So I want you to imagine for a moment a feast. All-you-can-eat buffet, but not like some of our buffets. It's good food. 
and imagine a feast where where the the master of the feast, the the one who set up this feast, says, "Go out and get." And Jesus uses parables almost identical to this, where he says, "Go out to the highways and the byways, everywhere you can go, bring people in." Imagine a feast that when you get there, you get there and you come in and you find that there's a seat reserved just for you. You've done nothing to deserve it. It's free. Would you not, once you found out that no matter how many people came in, there was always every new person that came in, you saw them. Oh, there's a seat for you. There's a seat for you. There's a seat for you. And you start to realize it doesn't matter how many people come in. There's always another seat for that next person. In fact, when they get there, they realize that their name was on the seat. And it's like this, it's like the seat was just for me. Would you not want to share that good news? I can remember when we lived in South Carolina, there was a, uh, this, this Christian man who had, um, owned, I think he owned several grocery stores and, he, uh, when, when things were getting ready to expire or had expired, he'd, he would get, gather all the stuff and he'd get until he had a whole bunch of it. And then he, I don't know how he advertised it, but we'd all, we all knew, all of us poor people, we knew about it. And, uh, we, you know, he, he would basically, he had this parking lot and it was on a Saturday morning and he had all these boxes spread out, bit bigger than the size of this room. Just had them all sitting out there on the ground. And he had a big, you know, do not cross tape and all of us poor people were out over there on this side. And I can remember doing this with charity. We were over there, had the boys with me and we'd stand at the line and we're like scoping out what's in the boxes. You only had to pay like two bucks a box or something like that. I don't remember exactly what, it, but you could put as much as you could in that box. And he had like, you couldn't have it like falling over, you know, but it was $2 a box. And it, it, I mean, you find all kinds of stuff in these boxes. I can remember standing at the do not cross line and looking and seeing like Starbucks coffee and going, <gasps> You know, how many of those can I get in one box? Oh, man. You know how we heard about it? Some of our poor friends told us about it. They said, hey, man, there's this thing on Saturday. You can go and you just two bucks a box and you can just get as much as you can. And, you know, it, we, we would go and, you know, I'd send the boys out on little scouting trips. Joe probably doesn't even remember this, you know, you know. See what you can find. They'd be looking through, rummaging through the boxes. What can I find? Pop-Tarts, you know. It was good news. I mean, it's almost free. That's what we do when we, we realize something is good and great and we want to share. Now, that thing was a little bit different because it was pretty crowded. And there were some times I thought, I don't want to tell anybody about this. But what if you realize that no matter how many people came, there was always going to be more and more and more and plenty of stuff left over. Wouldn't you, would you not tell all of your poor friends, you got to come to this. Is that's that's decent. That's pretty decent news. Is not the real good news that Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on the cross and took the penalty of anybody that shows up, took the penalty of their sin, and they're welcomed in to His kingdom and adopted as children to sit at the Master's table? Would you not? want to spread that news? I mean, I know we're American. You talk to anybody, they go, I know who Jesus is. I don't think a lot of people really do. I think if they did, they wouldn't use His name as an exclamation or a profanity. Right? I think there's a lot of people out there, I I used to joke when I worked at McLean that uh, everybody out there was a Christian. Why? Why did I really think everybody's a Christian? No. 
talk to anybody, almost everybody says they believe in God, but I don't think they know what that means. I don't even know if they know what the good news really is. How do we spread the gospel? Who do, who do we spread the gospel to? What sorts of people? Are we spreading the gospel? You know, when we found that grocery situation down south, you know who we would share that news with? Every time we met somebody else that was poor, we'd go, just poor people, people that really needed it and knew they needed it. Naturally, that's what we did. It's not like they would, you know, say, well, you rich people can't come. But it was tough for those rich people to get there because they didn't, they didn't think that they didn't realize how, how great and, and how much they needed it. They were very self-sufficient, but we weren't. There's so many similarities between what I'm describing to you and the gospel. Let me ask you this. Are even attempting to spread the gospel? Are you making those attempts? Well, let me go back to this story in this Ethiopian eunuch, and then I'm going to come back to these ideas. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26, it says, Now the angel, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So let's pop a map up here for a minute. So uh, it's kind of hard to see, but here's Jerusalem. Samaria would have been up here off the screen. Okay, Samaria was up here. Um, Jerusalem, now if you think about where Africa is, okay, I don't know if you follow way down here somewhere, right? Ethiopia would have been way off the map here. So the, this this road most likely uh, would have been this one, I'm sorry, most likely this one. Here's Gaza over here. And so God says, Philip, go down to this road. Who else is traveling on this road that we're going to find out in just a minute? Who had been up on pilgrimage in Jerusalem, this Ethiopian eunuch, headed back down to Africa? Right? He's headed back down. He's taking this road. And notice it says it's a desert place. Here's a picture of that area, just to give you a visual. This is what it looked like. So when the Bible says it was a desert place, was it a desert place? Yes, it was. So he's, God tells him, go down there. Now, i got to be honest. When I look at that road, I don't think, this is the perfect place to spread the gospel. Does that look like ministry territory? I'm looking at it going, where's all the people? I think God's got something important that is, is going to happen here. So Philip says, and he rose and went. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. I wonder why. So much that could be said here. Said most of it already, so I'm going to keep going. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. Now, this chariot, actually, don't, don't picture a chariot, is probably an ox-drawn cart. For long distances, they wouldn't have had, like, the horses racing, okay? So don't picture that. It's probably just a, a, a larger cart with oxen out in the front, and so that's probably what it was. And so it's quite possible. It's easy, it'd be easy to run up alongside this thing. So God says, go, go over and join this chariot. So Philip, he's, he's made the journey. As far as we know, he's made that journey. He's left Samaria, and he's made this journey. Who knows how long it took him to get down there? He's made this journey, and... And he sees this chariot, and who knows, the whole time he's going, he's probably thinking, why am I going down here? But God said, oh, hey, see that chariot? Go there. Okay, got it. And so, 
I do think it's funny that then it says Philip ran to him. But Philip runs over to the chariot, and he hears him reading Isaiah the prophet. So this man is either reading out loud. One of my commentaries said it's possible he could have had somebody there that was reading to him. But it says he was reading, so I think he was reading. But he's reading out, so he's going down. Maybe he's reading to the guy driving the chariot, trying to pass the time. And so he's reading Isaiah. And Philip hears him. And he asks, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? There's been a lot of people that have used this passage of Scripture to talk about the importance of you and me as Christians who God has enlightened us but through the power of the Spirit to understand what the Scriptures are teaching about. And so th- this man talks about this. He says, you know, how can I? How can I really understand? And I imagine he may be, I mean, he's, he's seen some glimpses in there. He's thinking there's something in here for me, but I don't quite, I can't pull all the little pieces together. Because I went, and I, I think maybe he went up to Jerusalem, and maybe his sacrifices weren't accepted by some of the people in the temple. And he's going, but it said they accepted, and how? But so I think he's distraught potentially over this, and so he's sitting there going, "How can I unless someone guides me?" And he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. Like I said, a lot of people have used this to talk about the importance of how the Spirit of God opens our eyes. I'm going to share two passages with you: First Corinthians one eighteen. Paul writes, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. We read scripture, and if we know what it's about, and we know Jesus, we're looking at it through that Jesus lens, we read scripture and we think. In fact, I'm going to read a passage, the passage that this guy was reading in just a minute, and you're going to hear it, and you're going to think Jesus. I'm just telling you in advance. uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So many people have used this to talk about the importance of our role in helping, guiding people, the Spirit of God using us to bring more people to him. God sent Philip. I want to call this, anybody ever heard use the phrase a divine appointment? I think this is a good example of that. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Isaiah 53, by the way, just a couple chapters before that other one. Maybe he decided, maybe I missed something. i got to go back to the beginning again. Like a sheep he was led to, sla- to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? Now, when you hear that, who do you think of? I already told you. But who do you think of? When you, read, when you hear this, read this, doesn't it make you think, this surely was written after Jesus? Because it's clearly describing Jesus. Was this written after Jesus' time? No. It was written way before, hundreds of years before. There was a, a, a kind of a debate during this time period before everybody started to understand, the Christians understood who Jesus was and how he fulfilled these things. And so there was some debate over this particular passage of Scripture about who he's talking about. In fact, if you read the very next thing, the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say, the, say this, about himself or someone else? There was actually a debate amongst the commentators of that day saying, Who's, is Isaiah talking about himself, or is he talking about somebody else? He's, I mean, maybe he's talking about himself, these, these things that happened to him. Talk about divine appointments. What a perfect place 
for Philip to go, I know who he's talking about. I know who he's talking about. This is important to the eunuch as well. He wants to know who is this. Because surely there must be some connection between this and what this prophet says later about this future time when I, the Ethiopian speaking, I could be accepted and have something better than sons and daughters. I think our world is full of stories similar to this guy's. I say similar. I think there's a lot of people just in Daneville. Let's just ignore everybody else for just a moment. Can I do that? Let's just think Danville and Vermillion County. I think there are a ton, ton of people who would sympathize with this guy, not because he was a eunuch, but because very much they're on the outskirts of the fringes of society. Maybe they've had things, whether it was by their choice or by somebody else's choice, or maybe just life happened. And their life has not panned out the way maybe they dreamed it might. I think many of us picture when we're younger what our lives are going to turn into. And there's many of us that we get to this later point in life where we're like, this is not what I planned. I thought it would turn out a lot different and many of us a lot better. I just out of curiosity, I want to ask that question and I'd love to see a show of honest show of hands. Anybody in here ever had a moment in life where you looked at your life and you thought, this is not nearly as good as I was hoping it would be? Now, some people go, you know, what was it? You know, better than I deserve, but I still think there's a lot of people that go, I, I kind of pictured at one point, like, this the the white picket, maybe not the white picket fence, but the white picket fence and the, house and the flower, the daffodils out front and the, everything going perfectly and the, just the right job that I'm happy with all the time. And, and maybe some of us are too realistic for that, but maybe there was a point when you were younger, you thought maybe it might turn out that, and it just didn't quite do it. Gospel, whether it's because of life, because of your bad choices or someone else's bad choices, it doesn't matter. The gospel is still for you. The story continues. Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. That one who was like a lamb led to the slaughter, he was ultimately the sacrifice for us all. And it's accepted. And accepted not because of the person bringing the sacrifice, but accepted because who the sacrifice is. So you as an Ethiopian eunuch, you have to understand that now because of Jesus, this is fulfilled. You're accepted. You don't even have to make it to that mountain. There's a greater mountain that's coming. And you are welcomed in because of Jesus. Now as they were going along, as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? I think this guy has clearly heard this and said, I've been wanting in on this my whole life, but I never quite saw how it was possible till now. Water, I think, would be a rare 
thing in this area. They must have come across some. Because he says, see, here it is, right here. He commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him right then and there. That's great. By the way, you don't need to be baptized by a preacher. Did you catch that? Now, this is, remember I said this is an interesting story, but it's also fun. This is where it gets fun for me. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Let me just pause there for just a second. So just try to picture this for this Ethiopian eunuch. He's trying to figure out Isaiah. This guy, out of nowhere, just comes running along beside the chariot. Say, hey, you reading Isaiah? Yes, I am. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I? Unless somebody explains. Well, can I explain to you? Hop on in. Starts explaining it. Light bulbs start going on over this eunuch's head. Like, oh, oh, it makes sense now. It's this guy, Jesus. He's he's making this all possible, making it work out. I get it. And then he sees some water. Go, I, I want to, I, I mean, in now. I want to end on this right now. I can't wait another minute. Look, there's water. Let's go get back to it. Okay. Go in. Go down to the muddy, murky water. Go down. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Spirit. He goes down. He comes up. And he's like, oh, this is... Where's Philip? The Bible said he carried him away. We're going to see where he went in just a second here. But just, I, I love thinking about that. Can you imagine the stories this guy would have told the rest of the way down? And then when he got back, this guy, out of nowhere. And then when I come up, he's just gone. I bet he didn't know. I bet when he finally passed away and he ended up in heaven and he saw Philip, he's like, where did you go? I mean, you were there and then you weren't. Where did you go? And Philip, well, you wouldn't believe it. After I didn't even know that was going to happen either. Can you imagine my story? Oh, that's a crazy. I can't believe it. God, it's so amazing. So where did you go? I ended up in this place. Oh, man. So God brought you down there just for me? Absolutely. Talk about divine appointments. Philip found himself in Azotus. And he passed there and he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Um, so, found this nice little map. So, he's in Samaria. Here's Jerusalem. He makes the trek down here, road to Gaza. Um, he disappears from here, ends up in Azotus, and then he just starts going up the coast preaching the gospel. And imagine at this point he's thinking, I can preach the gospel to anybody. Because that Ethiopian eunuch would be on the farthest reaches of what a Jew would have thought was the type of person to share the good news with. And he was way out there, and God brought him there just for that purpose. So I can imagine Philip left there going, I, this is for everybody. Kind of like me after I went the first time to the big grocery display and, and find out that anybody could show up. I did. I, I was telling people left and right, oh, there's this thing, it's crazy. Get all this food, it's like two bucks a box. I mean, this is for any, you mean anybody can go? Yeah, anybody can go. They don't know, you just show up. Very much, I think what Philip would have done as he left. Anybody. So he starts sharing the gospel with everybody he meets. Now, the application for this, I just, I don't have special points and all starting with the same letter. I just want you to know the gospel, the good news, is for you. If you're sitting here today, 
in this room. I think most of you in this room go, I already knew that. But it's nice to hear it again. It doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, where you've been, what mistakes you've made, what sins you've committed. The gospel is for you. And God wants to give you something better than anything you could ever achieve here. He's offering something better. I love that better. I heard this story one time of these, this college, and there were these two dorms that were, two guy dorms, and they were battling each other. One was called Molten. I don't remember what the other one was called, but they, they put up a big sign, you know, we're the best. They say, Molten is best. And the other dorm put up a big sign after the one that said best, and I just love it because the other sign, they put it up and it, it just said, whatever the name it was, is better. I love that because, because even if you put up the best, better is even better than the best. You just can't top better. I want you to know that's exactly what the gospel is. What God offers is better than anything else you could ever achieve, accomplish, gain, acquire, anything here. And it's for everybody. This truth filters into so much of what Jesus does. I want to, tell, I want to share two um, parables that Jesus talks about. And there's a hundred of them like this in the Gospels. If you've been reading through our passages uh, the, of our shared scripture reading, you'll run across these in Luke 15, uh, not that long ago. Luke 15, starting with verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, this being Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, the Pharisees and the scribes, oh, this man receives sinners and eats with them. In the rejects of society, and, and I don't mean that casually. These were people that were very much detestable in a very real sense. And Jesus is just hanging out with them, eating with them. The Pharisees are like, how could you eat with So he told this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. He found that one lost sheep. When he comes home, he calls together his friends. Wait, did I skip a verse? When he found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Listen carefully to this. Just so, I think Jesus knows this to be true. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99, and I'm going to put some air quotes up here, righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, let's think about the theology of this for just a moment. Are there actually people who are righteous that don't need repentance? No. So when Jesus says this, he's not saying that there are actually righteous people that don't need repentance. What he's saying is there might be some people that are self-righteous thinking they don't need repentance. 
But there's more joy in heaven for the, the person that realizes I'm a sinner, I'm a wretch, I need Jesus. And that person, when Jesus finds him, there's more rejoicing in heaven over somebody like that. The, the wretched one, the sheep that's just wandered all over the place that Jesus goes and finds. There's more rejoicing in heaven for that person than if you lined up a hundred people that have their act together. Picket fence people. Everybody's doing what they're supposed to do, people. You know what's funny? When, I'm going to be honest with you here. I'm always honest with you. I don't know why I'm saying I'm going to be honest. I'm always honest with you. But I'm going to be a little bit more revealing uh, with you here. Uh, When I first came here eight years ago, in my head, when I think of building the ideal church, when I'm talking about people, sometimes it's easy to think in your head, you know what this church needs? It needs some people. And, and, and I don't say it out loud, but in the back of my head, way back here, I'm kind of bouncing around, I think to myself, you know what? The, a good church needs some good people that are already, and already put together. I have changed my mind about that. I would rather any day of the week take a church full of a bunch of idiots that have screwed up their lives and they still don't have it together yet because those people are the ones that are sitting there saying, I need Jesus. And I'd rather have a room full of that than a huge sanctuary full of perfect little families that already have their acts together. Amen? Amen? And I, I hate to tell you this, but if you look around, I think God's doing that. <laughs> and I want to encourage you to say today that God, that up in heaven there's more joy over each of you that stepped foot in this room and you know that you screwed, you've screwed your life up so many times but you, you walked in here today just because you know who Jesus is and you just want to know Him. You're not here to impress anybody because you know that wouldn't work anyway. You're not here to show how great you've got your life figured out because it's not true anyway. You're here for one reason, Jesus. That's it. Jesus tells another parable after this. He says, What woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently till she finds it? When she has found it, she... Calls together her friends, neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me. Only poor people would get this. If you're going, you found you lost a coin and found it, what's the big whoop? If you've ever been down to just ten coins and you lose when you find it, you know exactly how what a big whoop that is. And her friends and neighbors, her real friends and her real neighbors, they understood it because they were rejoicing with her, aren't they? It wasn't nuts for her to do this. I lost the coin, I found it. You know that feeling. Only poor people get this. Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin for, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angel of God over one sinner who repents. The gospel is for each and every one of you in this room. It's really, it really is. 
It really, genuinely is. God is offering something better than, than anything else. He wants to put a monument up in His house that's better than sons and daughters. He's got your name on it. He wants, you to welcome, he wants to welcome you into His feast. He wants you to know you may have missed out on some of the things that some people would say, that's the stuff you need to be happy. And, and Jesus is saying, i got something better. Just wait, see, trust, believe, hope. I want to end with that thought on twofold. Twofold way of looking at it. One, what I've clearly, hopefully, made abundantly clear to you is that gospel's for you. But if you're thinking right and you believe it, and when you go out of this building and you're walking around town, you're at your place of work, you're going to start to find that you more and more gravitate not towards the ones that have their acts together, but towards the ones that are just, they've blown it and they know it. And I want to say that you may be on a collision course for a divine appointment, just like Philip was. Some of you know exactly what this is about. There's some of you that could... They get up here and tell stories of times where you've, you've been in a restaurant and, and you maybe you saw somebody at the next booth over and they're reading their Bible, looking confused. And maybe you said, what you reading? Some of you know exactly what this is like because you've been at work and you, you, your, your co-worker came in that day and you could just tell there was something wrong and you go, what's the matter? And they start to tell you and they start to unfold and you realize that all the things they're talking about, you realize... Jesus is the thing that they're missing. Just like this eunuch that was going, I want acceptance. I want to be accepted into God's family and God's house. God may be bringing you and intersecting your path with that person at just the right time, at just the right place, for just the right purpose of sharing the key to unlock, right? The understanding. It's Jesus. He's done it all. You're accepted. And I tell you, there's more rejoicing in heaven. I mean, we know this because Jesus said it. There's more joy before God and His angels. And we love talking about this because when somebody comes to repentance, don't, don't you like, some of you that have been Christians for ages, you like to picture this. When somebody comes to Christ, you can just almost picture it in your head up in heaven, the angels going, get ready. He believed. I want to encourage you as you go out of this building, just head hell high. I'm accepted by God. I've been brought into His family. But then like one beggar showing other beggars where there's bread, we all start to recognize each other, don't we? All the other beggars out there. You start going, that guy needs Jesus too. That that woman needs Jesus too. I just, and you start spilling it out. When you go out into this week, get ready. Get ready for divine appointments. Get ready for opportunities to share the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do thank you for this day.
Lord, I ask now, actually, Lord, I want to say thank you as well for just the goodness of the story, the greatness of the story. Thank you that you sent Philip all the way out of his way for this, this one guy. Thank you for doing that. Thank you, God, for your gospel really being good news for everybody. Not just for some, but for everyone. Lord, help us to go out, because I know, Lord, that there are other sheep you have that you're going to call into your fold. Lord, I just hope that we can all be a part of bringing them in. Use us, Lord, to share the truth of Jesus. Give us bravery, boldness, not based in ourselves, but based in the goodness of all that you are. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. We have a meal today, right? Well, you guys are dismissed.